Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Owen O'Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Ian Lynch from Lancome. He's got a podcast called Fire Draw Near that's doing a three-parter on The Wild Rover. The second episode of that comes out this week. I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, around the time of the first episode on The Wild Rover came out. I talked to him primarily for The Irish Examiner and a feature on the history of that song. But we talked for much longer for this podcast. We talked about the past year for Lancome, which saw them start by playing a couple of super lauded shows at Vicars Street. They won the Choice Prize for Irish Album of the Year for the Live Long Day, and they got to tour the US as well. And then, well, they had to use a big chunk of the 10 grand Choice Prize winnings to get home via New York when COVID-19 hit. So we talk about all that before getting into Fire Draw Near and the history of the Wild Rover. Yeah, let's get into it. This is myself and Ian Lynch from Langham. Hope you enjoy the chat. A strange year for Lancome. Started great, playing a couple of sold-out shows in Vicars Street, and now, I guess, not really doing anything at the moment, having played to uh, a crowd in a couple of months. A strange one, I'm presuming, for you. Yeah, quite a strange one. Um, yeah, I think so. the last actual live gig we did was on the, I think, the 11th of March in Virginia, in the States. We were on tour over there when everything went down and we kind of had to get back. We just, we kind of felt like we had to get back as quickly as possible, you know. All these things were happening really quickly and then our flights home got cancelled and we started to kind of panic, you know, and we were like, oh crap, we have to book book new flights home. They're all really mega expensive. But luckily we had the 10 grand from the Choice Award, which pretty much all went towards getting flights just to get us home from the States. Um, so we left there on the, I think the morning of the 13th of March, had to drive through Manhattan to drop back the amps that we'd rented out and like it was absolutely deserted. It was just one of the strangest sights ever driving through that part of New York, you know, uh, that you know just from films and everything. And yeah, no, it's a city that never sleeps and all the rest of it. And driving through it was completely deserted, like it was pure post-apocalyptic uh, horror film vibe off it. So um, yeah, that happened. We got, we got the flights back luckily and um, we were back in Ireland then on the 13th of March and straight into the first lockdown it was it was the right decision i guess with hindsight but at the time were you were you like uh oh, we, sh- we shouldn't go back we'll we'll hunker down and we'll see what happens or were, were you all just like let's just oh, get home as no quickly way. as possible we were, just, we were all we were like let's get the fuck out of here right now like this is the last place we want to be if anything goes down <laughs> do you know what i mean um yeah we just wanted to get get straight out of there and get home how do you feel looking back? Are you like, oh my God, that was like one of the, cra- I mean, I presume it's one of the craziest like weeks of your lives. It was bizarre. Yeah. Very, very bizarre. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's like the, the whole year, the whole year is just being bizarre and it's just getting stranger and stranger as we go on, you know, between one thing and another. But um, it's, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's still seems even too soon to try and like you know analyze it or really talk about it in any great deal because it's all you know we're all still in the middle of it you know maybe this is just the way it is now oh god <laughs> um, no, no more normality to go back to <laughs> so so before we kind of get to uh fire draw near and and the wild rover um especially which we'll talk about a little bit later i did just want to talk about uh lancome for a little bit um those vicar street shows at the start of the year they sold out really really quickly and it really did feel like this uh wave of momentum that you're on like we're what were those gigs like if you can if you can think pre-pandemic were <laughs> were you thinking like oh th- these are the best gigs we've ever done 
Yeah, I think so. Um, just, I mean, we we done the the release gig in October in Vicker Street, and that was that that sold out as well. And then, I mean, that was like, yeah, that's amazing that we sold it out. But um, then the next two, like you were saying, sold out so quickly, and we're like, what the hell? You know, that's within two months we're after selling out Vicker Street three times. Like this is just absolutely mental, you know. But it it, it was a fantastic time, like doing those two gigs in a row because we had the full band. Um, you know, we had all the guest musicians and everything. It felt like a proper big show, you know, like um, Spider Stacy from the Pogues got up to play a tune with us. And it was just, it was absolutely magic. It was like, I mean, if it, like just felt like things were happening on a scale that we never, never imagined, you know. Those gigs sold out so quickly as well. I was like, oh, I'd, I'd like to go to that gig. I was thinking back when they were announced. And then like w- once I thought, OK, I'll definitely make sure that I can uh, get up to this gig. And they were sold out straight away. Like, I think yeah. he could have done a week of shows at Vicar Street. Yeah. And, you know, we had so many great shows coming up throughout the year as well. Like we had um, Cork on Paddy's Day in the Opera House there with the Mary Wallopers. Like that would have been an absolutely crazy gig. Like we were looking forward to that so much. And then all throughout the summer, like we had all kinds of great festivals booked. Like there was like a Roadburn Festival, Supersonic over in Birmingham. Like lots of the kind of festivals that we'd really like been trying to get into for years, you know, like they're just festivals that had like lots of great bands, lots of interesting music, you know. And yeah, obviously none of that happened. We did, um, like we did the other Voices gig in Kilkenny back in was it May, maybe May or June. And then we had obviously the, um, the Abbey Street gig in the abbey theater um, i i saw the the abbey theater one i thought it was amazing but like from a performer's point of view like i'm guessing that you would be a band who really does bounce off the audience so when there's no audience there do you uh get as much out of it as say the person watching um when there is an audience there yeah yeah i mean obviously we we love it and hopefully that's uh that's obvious from the gigs you know um, I mean, it sounds like a cliche to talk about, but it is that that case whereby you're you're getting energy off the audience and putting that back into the gig. They're getting off that, and it comes back. It gets into this whole loop, you know. And it seems like at certain stages in the gig, it just reaches this like mad crescendo. Um, and it's you know, it's a proper like it's a very sublime experience to go through that. Yeah, like it really, it really takes it out of you doing it all the time. You know, you wouldn't want doing it all the time, but uh, on, on those nights where it does happen, it's really, really magic. Is is that something that you got kind of straight away at the start of Lancome that there was this kind of, uh, you know, the audience kind of leaning forward or leaning into you sort of thing, this um, excitement and momentum uh, between the crowd and, and uh, band? Do you think that was there from the start or, or do, do you get better as a band and as performers with kind of realizing where the crowd is at while they're watching it yeah yeah I, th- I think it's something that um i mean it was happening on, on some kind of scale at, at, at quite an early level yeah and it's something i suppose yeah you, you just you kind of learn to how to perceive it and you learn how to work with it you know as the years goes on you, you just you get better and you get more natural you don't really think about it after a while you know you just kind of you just do the gig and kind of go with the flow and see see what happens you know and um yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, so something, yeah, it probably was it kind of built over the years and then until you have something like in, in Vicar Street, you know, where it's just like a purely, yeah, it's a mad experience. <laughs> and and so are you gagging to just play a gig like that again, just like an overflowing, well, once, it, once it's safe to do so, once it's 100% safe to do so, are you yeah. like, just put us on a stage? I don't know, because like, I'm really, I'm really, uh, I'm really getting used to lockdown life now and I'm, 
I'm really loving this. Like you know, I kind of don't want to go back to playing gigs to be honest. Um, I'm I'm really loving getting so much out of this year, and I kind of you know I have to be careful about how I phrase this because obviously there's a lot of people going through some real hardship. But um, I feel like this is like the best year I've ever had. Wow, like, loving it so much. Yeah. In <laughs> in terms of like you're 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 just in one place sort of thing. You're not having to go anywhere or in one place and just having so much more time to myself you know i have lots of different projects on the go like lots of different collaborations and stuff it'd be like a lot of stuff will be kind of coming out next year i can't really talk about it yet but just so many different projects that are you know kind of just different things you know like i felt like um when i was in like playing gigs with the bands the whole time so before i was in the band i was i was lecturing for three years in ucd and I kind of had to give that up because just the band was getting so busy, you know, and we're playing gigs and touring all the time. And then kind of touring all the time, you're, I just felt like there was really like large portions of my brain that were not getting used at all. You know, they were like going into atrophy. Like I just, they weren't getting used at all. And I was trying to make up for it by, you know, working with, um, you know, doing kind of like uh, tour routing and doing accounts on the tour, advancing gigs. Or, but it's, you know, it's not really what I want to be doing so now I'm you know especially like doing the show and stuff you know putting back uh, putting a lot more time back into just doing research and things like that into like traditional songs which is what I really love doing um, and as well just being at home and be like I'm back in my parents now like where I grew up out in Baldoyle so out by the sea like kind of North Dublin um, it's just really nice to go out and walk go out swimming most days in the sea and it's just much more fulfilling life you know i know like playing gigs and i love doing it but when you're doing that constantly it's just one thing and you kind of feel like there's lots of other aspects that you're not really taking care of in your life you know but now um this year i feel, I feel like I've, i finally have time just to do everything i need to be doing to be a proper like actualized happy human being so it's been wow. amazing <laughs> wow I've, I've i've always been thinking like people are going to have ptsd or something after this you know they're going to be really wary of of getting back into crowds and getting back into large groups of yeah. people but uh that's interesting that it might make you kind of reassess life going forward like maybe you don't want you know to go back fully to the way things were yeah yeah i think so and i think it's just it's been an absolute i mean just just a break from everything just a chance to kind of sit back and kind of yeah like really reassess the whole situation you know um and yeah it's been really a really kind of valuable time for that um you you mentioned earlier uh that you used the choice the choice prize money to uh get back uh from america you got that for irish album of the year much deserved the live long day came out just over a year ago i think i actually talked to dara on yep. the podcast um just before you went into the studio i think it was the friday before you went into the studio or yeah, something yeah. so so if you want to just pick up the story from from there like how, how was the studio like it sounded like you were going in for for two weeks and you got everything done and it was a pretty uh clear cut uh clear cut recording session it was yeah and um i think the location really added a lot to that it was out in the meadow in wicklow um so it was really really nice studio um it's a big forest down the road that you can walk in when you want to get kind of just you know just get get uh, your head get um yeah refresh things in your head and um it w went very very smoothly it worked really well 
so we did the two weeks there and then I think we went back in like a couple of more times just doing little bits and pieces but um, it, it all came together just really like so easily so so much easier than like any of our uh, previous experiences in the studio um, it was just yeah it was just just simple and easy everything just seemed to flow really well and it just all came out and then we yeah spent a few months kind of piecing it all together and mixing and all that and then it was good to go and I think yeah I mean I haven't I haven't listened to it recently but anytime I kind of just it comes on by accident I'm like oh yeah like we, we made that album last year deadly and just uh just really really proud of it you know so, so like I mean it was it was greeted with great acclaim on its release it was getting five star reviews from the likes of Irish Times and uh The Guardian I mean did did you actually think at the time like I mean, every every band thinks like this is probably the best thing that I've done every time they come out of the recording studio. Yeah. But did you think that it would kind of take you to to such a high next level? No, I did. I didn't realize the extent of it. I mean, obviously, um, when you're kind of in these things, you want to kind of gauge it from your own standards and your own kind of, um, you know, your own kind of marks of what you want to achieve and. So in this case, I mean, it was all we we really felt like we'd done like you know the absolute best that we could. We all thought like, wow, this is amazing to our own standards. I don't think. I mean, we didn't really talk about oh, like how is this album going to do? I wonder, you know, how it'll go. I think we were just so so um, secure and so confident in it ourselves. We we're just like, yeah, this is. We're just happy to put this out now, and whatever happens, happens. You know, um people might hate it or they might not but you know we we're already proud of it and we can stand behind it you know so yeah i think it's that's to me over the years i've learned that's the best kind of attitude to have because once you know once you can stand behind something and no one no one can touch you you know it doesn't matter if you're getting bad reviews or whatever it's just yeah it's grand yeah definitely a big surprise though um how how well it was received and how well it did in reviews and stuff did you have any pressure on you going into the studio? How, how do you mean pressure? As in, say, from Rough Trade, Trade or something like the first couple of albums had do, had done so much. But was anybody like, uh, like, was anybody thinking, uh, let let let's get to the next level with this? Like, like you weren't thinking like that. No, I mean, I think we had an idea to do something different with the sound, and we wanted to like really build on the you know, the, the sound that we developed over the first two albums and there were certain aspects of that that we wanted to build upon. And so there's definitely like another level there that we wanted to achieve with regards to the music. But um, I mean, with, with Rough Trade, it's been a remarkably kind of like, uh, I suppose you could call it, maybe not, not a laissez-faire approach, but just when it comes to the actual music and the creative stuff, they really like take a step back, you know. Um, they don't, I don't think we had any input or anything like that with with the actual label you know while we were recording or you know when we were kind of um like mixing or anything like that you know yeah i mean i didn't really feel under pressure maybe like a bit personally just because you know like the the last album between the art and sky had gotten really good reviews as well you know so there's always the thing you're like oh geez we've been lucky so far so maybe you know maybe this is the one where our luck breaks and you know everyone's going to realise we're not that good or whatever, you know, you just get these kind of like negative voices in your head sometimes. Um, and and it won the, the choice prize. You obviously weren't there. You're in uh, America. Um, what was, 
uh, that experience of hearing about it like and everything like I, w- I was in the in the um in Vicker Street on the night that oh, was yeah. that was I think it was my second last gig before uh COVID shut everything down and I don't know there was I, I don't I presume that you've heard a lot about it but it did feel like there was such genuine like uh you know this is much deserved everybody was really really happy for you guys oh, and and like what what was it like hearing about it in the states were you, were you chuffed to get it um it, yeah it was weird. i think we had we had like uh we were on the phone to keen and we were trying to sort it out so we could say something over the microphone but i think it cut out or something like that it just didn't work but um we were we were getting ready to drive down to washington to do the tiny desk concerts at the time which was another like really big deal for us so it was just like it's a really full-on time and um yeah like we were obviously we were over the moon we, we we were in our friend's house in brooklyn and yeah it just seemed like the the right place to be you know he's a really good old friend and he had a bottle of red breast whiskey there so we whacked that out we all went yay and like had us up at that and then jumped in the car and you know drove down to washington for hours and hours so it was just a really strange like just the whole period of time was just and this before we you know we were only hearing reports kind of here and there about the virus and stuff so uh it was just yeah just all kind of to me it's all bound up in that crazy time you know like it's hard to separate it out but um yeah i mean it was amazing we were all absolutely delighted to get it and obviously yeah we needed the money to get home so it all worked out in the end (laughs) um are you are you uh surprised at how america's taken to you like you've been there a few times over the years and done a couple of these live performances for like npr in particular has has been really behind you that was it's is it is it kind of surprising that they're getting behind you know like a a trad band or is it just i I don't know what it is i mean yeah it's definitely not something that i would have foreseen you know like um like obviously if you're going to start a band where you're like oh i want to you know, I want to get popular and I want people to get into us and you're not going to start a trad band. Like, you know what I mean? Like when we started out, we, we never thought we'd go past playing to, you know, our kind of, our idea of doing a big gig was like playing in the back room of the cobblestones to a hundred people, you know? And that was like the height of it. So like, yeah, to be going to America and having the likes of Bob Boylan and, you know, people who are really have their finger on the pulse with like, you know, contemporary music. And it's not just like, oh yeah, Milwaukee Irish Festival, you know, wants to book you in one of the tents for the, this year or whatever it's like you know people who are into like a very very wide um array of different genres of music and who really know their stuff you know and someone like that comes out and says they're really into it now that's that's like that's really special you know that's really something so um yeah it kind of felt like we uh yeah we were really starting to get somewhere over there you know and things were <laughs> more stories about this year like things were really growing and we, we planned like we we went through a load of hassle trying to get the visas sorted out just for that trip and um, visas that were to last yeah the last until like next next march and um, went through a load of hassle getting them tried to get had to get them expedited to get them in time like paid a load of money for that and then yeah got one trip out of them and obviously obviously we're not going to be going back before next march but um you know the, uh, the tiny desk concerts worked out so that was kind of the one of the main reasons we were going over that time you know so we were really happy with that the um the recording went really well and i think that's uh that's really something that you want to put down on on the cv like you don't mean play tiny desks like that's a really really big deal moving on slightly now to to more your own stuff and fire draw near uh it's been going for has it been going for about a year 
now is is yeah am i right last year this time last year actually before we went on tour in the uk it was like the new album kind of tour and we went into nts to do like a guest show and yeah like that was just so much crack like i had so much good fun doing that like i kind of thought about doing something like doing some kind of show for years but we did that show and i was just like wow that, that was really amazing and then i was talking to one or two people afterwards and they were saying yeah why don't you just do like a, you know a regular show and i was like yeah and kind of light bulbs started going off so i got in touch with um dublin digital radio and asked them about like doing a regular show and they were like yeah they gave me gave me a, a slot once a month and uh, i started off there and that's been that's been kind of just grown and grown since i started as well you know and um, i get i get a lot out of it because i mean it just yeah it, it, it kind of it's just really good to be researching music and like tracing back songs and just it's something i've always been interested in so it's the perfect excuse for me to get into that and just you know just love sharing the stuff that i'm into and just being enthusiastic about you know you say at the start of uh of the wild rover episode that you kind of uh used lockdown like back in march you like got better equipment and you got better at the the kind of the um the produ- production side of it and stuff yeah. did you is is that kind of one of the things that you used lockdown for just getting better at putting these episodes together yeah that was like the, the first lockdown that was definitely like at the start when we got back that was one of the things i just i got straight into um I got because yeah I got back I got the COVID emergency payment and I was like oh 350 quid a week that's amazing and uh, so I was able to get yeah I bought myself like your face and a good microphone and stuff and before that I'd been using just like a handheld zoom recorder and using audacity um to make the shows and it was like I didn't really put much effort into making them sound good or anything you know they're pretty rough and ready but um yeah i got i got this equipment and i started i got pro tools and i started looking into that and just started trying to figure out different frequencies and just mixing stuff and how to make it sound better you know and um yeah it was from from messing around with that that i kind of just started putting the wild rover podcasts together you know that had been kind of like yeah that i'd had in my head for a long time about doing like doing like documentaries about songs and stuff you know um but I, I kind of had more of an idea in my head that I was going to be like, you know, traveling around the country, interviewing people and stuff like that. So obviously that wasn't possible during lockdown. But um, yeah, I, I just started working on that, on the Wild Rover story because I'd, you know, I'd looked into it quite a bit when I was writing the notes for the album. And um, so I was kind of aware that it was like, yeah, really, really interesting story behind it. Yeah, I was working on it for like, I was working on it for a month or two and then I had it ready and I was like, yeah, I'm going to gonna put this out. And then I was talking to people and they were saying, oh, no, I know, you know, I know somebody over in BBC that might be interested in it. So I was like waiting a month or two to hear back from them. And then it was the same story with like, they were like, oh, no, this person RT said they're interested in putting on. I was waiting for a few months to hear back from that. And in the end, I was just like, oh, I'll just put it out myself. Yeah, might as well. Um, d- Just before we get in, in depth on the Wild Rover, have you been uh surprised by the amount of people who have been behind fire draw near so far like you've been able to start a patreon and everything as well it seems like there's real support and real love out there for uh the the show yeah yeah and that's that's like yeah again that's like something that's kind of blew me away um not not something i was expecting when i started it out there was yeah there was quite a, a good amount of listeners at the start but you know, it's it's a kind of a line you cross. You're like, okay, now I'm going out and asking people for money. You know, this could like totally fall flat on its face. You know, because it's one thing when there's something on the internet and you can listen to it for free. I mean, you can still listen to it for free, but um, 
I don't know. And obviously nowadays, there's like there's it's like everybody's got a Patreon as well. You know, uh, it's like a, it's a. I mean, it's an, an amazing model. I think it, it works really well, and it's it's really right on in a lot of ways. But the fact that there's so many people doing it now, it's like you know, it doesn't seem like a good time to be doing it. But it's it's yeah, it's been going really well, and it's it's you know, it's building all the time. So um, it's yeah, it's working out well. I'm really just yeah, just very very grateful to everybody who supports it and to all the listeners. It's yeah, it's brilliant. And and so the Wild Rover, it's obviously the first track that opens uh, the Live Long Day, a ten minute version. Do you feel pressure to kind of do a track like that justice when you're recording it yourself? Um, I think, I think maybe we were we were all a bit like aware that okay, people are going to pick up this record, that you know if it's going to be in Tower Records and stuff, and I'm like, oh yeah, there's this band. Apparently they're around now. They're playing like traditional music, and they look on the back, and the first thing's the Wild Rover. You know, come on, they're just going to put it back on the shelf, like do you know what I mean? Um, no, I think I think we were all so enthused about this particular version of the song that we had, and um, and then you know we were we were when we started to work on it, we were just so into the arrangement that we made in the studio, and you know, I I think it's it's different. It's it's that different to the version that everybody is familiar with. That um, you know, it's you know we're we're justified in in putting it on an album. You know, I mean, I couldn't imagine do doing it. You know, doing an arrangement of the really well known version. I don't think any of us would be into that. But with this, I just think it's it's such a such a beautiful air to it. You know, and it's um, it's just yeah, it's just it's it's such a different vibe to what people are used to. I think you almost kind of. I think maybe that was one thing that encouraged us to put it out was that you you want to show people that there's other versions to these songs that they know you know and it has been treated in different ways in the past and to to open open people's minds up up to that possibility you know that a lot of the songs that are really well known and from the tradition that there's other versions of them out there and they you know they've been kind of they've been maybe just like treated in a different way in the past and yeah it's worth looking into yeah, I did, like I hadn't kind of heard this kind of style of the Wild Rover either, and it does seem like in the first episode of the podcast, looking at the track as well, is is there a sense of trying to reclaim what the song is actually about? Like you say, it's it's quite clearly about temperance, but we've treated it for decades now as this uh, as this wild drinking song, you know, like pints flowing and you know everyone up dancing and stuff. Is there a sense of trying to? reclaim what the wild rover actually is at its at its core in in some ways yeah and this is something that like especially when i started making when i was making the first episode of the podcast and i was um i was looking at all the different versions that are out there you know like if you type wild rover into youtube like it's hundreds and hundreds of results um, and a lot of, like a lot of bands that i would be kind of familiar with and i was like oh recorded wild rover you know like stiff little fingers or like dropkick murphys or any of these bands um, and you look at you look at the videos for the songs and they're all like yeah, like falling around the pub and like knocking over drinks and it's all like yeah and then when you think about like the fact that this is like their version of Irishness you know like this is some like authentic view of Irishness is like falling around in the pub and uh, I actually I, I got quite like I felt quite offended by it when I started watching you know looking at these videos and realizing like what it's all tied up in and that yeah in in that way i i kind of um start feel like i did want to reclaim it and i did want to just maybe educate people you know if they if they listen to the podcast about what 
what the original idea was behind the song and you know the reason why it was written and to you know go go in depth into that as well because it's it's a it's a very yeah it's a very complex story and a very interesting story as well and just the, uh, trying to like figure out how how this song which which encouraged sobriety and was really like you know really kind of playing up all the bad points of drinking your money away and all the the negative aspects of that how that song over the years became this other thing that's it's like the polar opposite you know i just think it's really it's really it's a, just a really interesting story behind the song i mean i look into the stories behind lots of songs but i think that for me that this one has been the most uh compelling you know because of all those reasons without spoiling uh your own episodes that are to come about the wild rover like can can you give us kind of the the capsule theory as to why it kind of got co-opted into this drinking song like is there a specific moment like in the first episode you know you play uh the likes of foster and alan and johnny logan versions of it like are they kind of partly responsible for uh how we view the wild rover now well so like all all those versions, it's really interesting things like any version that you find now, if you look it up, all of them, nearly all of them without like apart from ours and maybe there's some like traditional groups who um have recorded the same version we recorded, but in, in general, like all the versions you'll you'll find today go back to the Dubliners version that they recorded in the sixties. Um and so when you when you listen to the Dubliners version, there's there's a few things there that I think make the song i mean it's kind of played as a drinking song and there's like different reasons for that and one of them is the kind of the antemic chorus where it's like no nay never dun 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 and so that goes that kind of stems back to a few different stories um so oh i don't know if i can get into now it's really really complicated but it's basically like has to do with luke kelly learning his version of the Wild Rover from an Australian who was living in Newcastle um, in the early 60s who, who he probably met at a folk club. So if you look at the Dubliners version, you can see that it is very heavily based on like on versions of the song that were extant in Australia. But then there's also an influence from Lou Killen who was singing, um, Lou Killen was a singer from Newcastle who was singing in folk clubs at the time as well. And he he was singing it with that like kind of antemic chorus which he'd learned from a radio program when he was young that was um broadcast in the 1940s by this bbc operatic singer um with an orchestra behind him so it's just it's really mad and convoluted how the dubliners came to play that version of the song but i think a lot of it is to do with the treatment of the song and how they sing it you know it's sung with this kind of heavy gusto it's got this antemic chorus and that kind of gives the song the feeling that it's like celebratory in some kind of way because i mean even if you look at that version of the wild rover it's still saying oh no nay never no more i'll I'll never play the wild rover because you know these it doesn't go into quite go into the kind of the misery that has been caused because of it but he's still saying oh i'm giving up the drink but it's just the fact that it's kind of sung and delivered in this kind of way makes it seem like a celebration of drinking um so yeah so that's something i go into in later episodes of the podcast but i think there are some of the reasons anyway 
Uh, do you enjoy kind of delving into the archives? Like you go back about 300 years to the UK um, on the first episode in these alehouse ballads. Uh, do you love like delving into into that history and finding these like old recordings of, of songs and everything? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, like I love to see where where the songs stem from. I love looking at older versions and how they might have changed over time. Um I'm really fascinated in the ways that songs, even the same song, can have like different functions in different eras and different countries, you know, as it moves from place to place, people kind of view it in a different way. And obviously, as we've talked about the Wild Rover, there's no, um, it's no stranger to that either, you know. And um, I think that's, that's something that I find like just, it's enduringly fascinating. Um, and I had lots of fun, especially like coming up with the, um, so like finding these ballads that were printed in like the 1620s or the 1630s and just getting people that I know to sing them so I could, you know, re recreate these sounds of these alehouses. That was like, that was definitely the most fun thing to do with the podcast um, and just, yeah, try trying to bring them to life, you know, because it's one thing seeing a song printed on a sheet, but like that's not where songs should live, you know, they need to be sung to be properly, to be properly understood and experienced, you know. Yeah, that that's one of the things that we hear through that first episode. We hear the likes of Rady Pete singing these versions. Um, is it is it hard? Like when when you see them written out in front of you, do you have an idea of what they're supposed to sound like? I mean, what say Rady is singing? Is that what people would have heard like three hundred years ago, or, or is it just like a, a kind of a modern day approximation of of what it would have been like? Well, it's hard to know because when you look at these printed ballad sheets, um. So ballad sheets it would have been like printed in England from like late 1500s and that was a kind of a culture that came over here where you would have like um like ballad singers on the street selling these like ballads for a halfpenny or a penny and the song would be printed on them but the interesting thing is that the tune like there's never a musical notation sometimes on the ballads it will say like to be sung to the tune of and it will give a name of another song and quite often the songs that it names for the tunes are like even more obscure than the songs themselves so they just have been lost over time but um i have read that a lot of the times the ballad singers they were just i mean they were just kind of sing whatever tune came to their head you know if you know enough traditional songs you realize that quite often the same tunes are used for you know for different songs and so there's a, a you know a transference here in ireland you know you might hear a song being sung to one tune down in the south of Ireland, sung to a different tune in the west, and you, you find it was sung to a different tune again in the north or whatever, you know. So people were very free and easy about the tunes that they would give to songs. So in general, if you look at a, a song printed on a page, you'll recognise by the metre of the song, or, you know, the amount of syllables per line, it, usually a tune will just come to your head, just, you know, any tune that you know from a traditional song. And I think that's the way, um, like, can't speak for radio but i think you know when, when i'm looking at these songs anyway a tune will invariably come into your head as you're reading it you know without without even trying to and so um that's yeah that's that's just the way it goes and do you ever worry about uh, like uh get, getting anything wrong i mean like you're you're talking to other people and other experts like that but do, do you ever worry that uh someone is going to get onto you and be like ah oh, you're you're totally wrong there with what you're talking about with this with this or, or anything like that um no i mean I, I i totally welcome it you know um okay yeah like you know i i, I spent a lot of time 
working on the script for the podcast and spend a lot of time on like internet forums where there's like very knowledgeable people kind of arguing over very minute details of these kind of things um so like yeah i'll be familiar with like various arguments that are out there so you have to be careful how you say things you know like it's like in any kind of a academic area when you're talking about something you kind of shy away from stating that things are definitely like this but you can say like oh well it seems that at this point you know because you're working from whatever information you have and so yeah i mean i do obviously try my best to you know be working from like proper factual knowledge and only stating things that i know to be true but i mean if yeah i mean if anybody listens to it and thinks i'm wrong in some in some aspect then yeah that definitely welcome welcome I'm getting in touch and pointing it out and then uh you know I can correct it and then you know like become more knowledgeable in the area myself and and so you mentioned earlier that uh some some of um the versions uh like those no nay never versions they're not really for you or um the other guys in Lancome like do, do you still enjoy kind of hearing those takes on the track um yeah I do absolutely like I I you know I'm 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 open to like all kinds of music and I just I appreciate like creativity in all its forms um and I'll yeah I'll, I'll listen to anybody I do like here and I mean yeah there's a big difference I mean I listen to a lot of music that I wouldn't consider you know playing with Lancome or I listen to a lot of um like even like traditional stuff that I would don't think that would suit us as a band you know um like I don't I don't think it would it would work I don't think it would fit into the kind of rest of our um like repertoire if we were to come out and start going no nay never and like trying to get the audience to clap along and like it just wouldn't it wouldn't work that's not what we're about you know that's not what we do as a band so you know i wouldn't even consider that you know <laughs> okay fair, fair. <laughs> never say never well no nay never yeah <laughs> um, so so when are the uh next episodes of the podcast out is it is are you keeping it monthly I'm keeping it monthly, so I'm doing like I'm doing the kind of the radio show every month, and then I'm doing the the Wild Rover one every month. So it's going to be like every two weeks, I'm kind of putting something out, you know. So it'd be another another two weeks before episode two of the Wild Rover comes out. And there's three episodes all together, and then I did like a bonus episode all about the whole culture of selling ballad sheets because I mentioned that a few times. So there's like the three episodes, then a bonus episode, and that's all I have so far. So, um. You know, I'll, you know, I probably will do it on another song. I'm just, you know, I'm kind of constantly looking into kind of other songs and their backgrounds and maybe just trying to find the right one where I can get a few episodes out of it, you know. Um, one, certain songs to have just enough information about them out there and I suppose to have stories and backgrounds that are as compelling as the one behind the World Rover, you know. It's, it's definitely something I'd like to do more of. It does, I mean, it does take up a, a lot of time, but, you know, it's still in lockdown, so it's a perfect time for it. And so finally, what are, what are Lancome up to? Do you have any plans in the future you allowed to say at all? Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking at getting back together um, as soon as possible to start working on music for another album. Um, we, have, we have a place to go. Um, so Cormac is living in Sligo at the moment. Um, so he has he hasn't been around, but he'll be come back soon, and hopefully, yeah, it's start of December, um, when the lockdown is hopefully over, we'll just as soon as we can all be together, we want to start making new music. 
And and is it a case of is it a case of kind of uh, you've collected some of these tracks, so you've come across these old versions of tracks that you want to have a go of? Is it is it kind of like we've got twenty of these songs that we'd like to to see what we can do together with them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always there's always lots of that, you know. Um, and we always have way more than we can do, you know. Even for like for the live long day, I think we recorded twice as many songs as we ended up using. So we've even got stuff recorded that you know we could use again. Um, and and there's always, I mean, there's always lots of songs, you know, because you know, Rady's doing her own thing. I'm, you know, I go to a lot of singing sessions online these days as well. Um. Well, we all do really. So we're all constantly like adding to our repertoire. We're all all coming across new songs that we're excited about and are interested in doing with the band. So it's just a question of yeah, sitting down and seeing which ones work and which ones we come up with interesting arrangements for. And you know, but there's there's absolutely no shortage of material out there anyway. That's for sure. Cool. Well, I look forward to hearing uh, what Lancome come up with next. I look forward to hearing the rest of um, this series on uh, Fire Draw Near. And uh, yeah, best of luck with everything. Thanks for chatting. Yeah, thanks for the interview, Owen. Cheers. (laughs) 